peace. In a world in which war and hatred are chronic, men have much to say about their longing for love and peace. It is questionable, however, that they truly want love or peace because their actions make for war. Winston Churchill, in the last volume of his Memoirs of World War II, wrote a motto for that history. How the great democracies triumphed and so were able to resume the follies which had so nearly cost them their life. When men's actions are guaranteed to ensure war and hatred, we are entitled to question their professions of love and peace. It is important for us to understand the meaning of peace, since it is so widely professed as a social objective and so little practiced as a way of life. The English word peace comes from the Latin pax, peace, which is akin to pacere, to make an agreement, and pangere, to fasten. An agreement or unity of some kind is clearly implied. Such a unity must be more than a mere tying together of people, because then every unhappy marriage would qualify as a peace and a tyrant's rule over another people would also be peace. Peace thus requires a mutual assent and content in the unity. The New Testament word for peace is irene. As Vine has pointed out, it describes a. harmonious relationships between men, Matthew 10.34, Romans 14.19, b. between nations, Luke 14.32, Acts 12.20, Revelation 6.4, c. friendliness, Acts 15.33, 1 Corinthians 16.11, Hebrews 11.31, D, freedom from molestation, Luke 11.21, and Acts 9.31, RV, peace, AV, rest, 16.36, E, order in the state, F, the harmonized relationships between God and man, accomplished through the gospel, Acts 10.36, Ephesians 2.17, G, the sense of rest and contentment consequent thereon, Matthew 10.13, Mark 5.34, Luke 1.79 and 2.29, John 14.27, Romans 1.7, and 8.6. In certain passages, this idea is not distinguishable from the last, Romans 5.1. Peace is inescapably a religious concept because the agreement, unity, harmony, and contentment which are aspects of peace rest on a principled achievement. Those who have gained peace are ready to give eloquent testimonials to the faith and his practitioner who gave them peace. Some will thus witness to how I found peace through Christ, and others on how psychoanalysis gave them peace. If the principles and faith which govern and structure a peace are fallacious, the peace that ensues is doomed to collapse and disillusionment. Peace is more than a transitory state of mind. Narcotics and liquor can give a seeming peace briefly, and more unrest thereafter. Peace means, as the Old Testament word shalom indicates, a state of wholeness. In its full meaning, peace is both individual and communal, and it is an aspect of the covenant, and the salvation, righteousness, and blessing of the covenant. Peace is used in the New Testament as opposed to strife. It means serenity of mind, and above all, the restoration of right relationships between God and man. St. Paul uses peace in this sense when he speaks of the fact that, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Because Christ has made atonement for our sins, we now have a right relationship with God. This right relationship means restoration into our intended status in Eden, to be God's people and to exercise dominion under him to obey his law word in our everyday affairs, and to live in all things by God's every word, Matthew 4.4. 
Peace in the New Testament rests on the Old Testament meaning of wholeness, prosperity, well-being, good of any kind. This is its primary meaning. Christ restores us into that relationship with God which brings us into communion with Him who blesses us with wholeness and prosperity. Peace in this sense is declared by both Testaments to be characteristic of the Messianic times, for God's covenant is a covenant of peace, Isaiah 54.10, Ezekiel 34.25 and following, and 37.26. The Messiah is himself the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6 and following, Micah 5.5, Zechariah 6.13. It is a time also of joy, for ye shall go out with joy, and shall be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Isaiah 55.12 It is a time of universal knowledge of God, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Isaiah 54.13 Peace shall be worldwide and centered in the true Zion or city of God. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her, Jerusalem, like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowering stream. Isaiah 66.12 From the time of Christ's birth, this same vision of peace is stressed. God has sent his Son to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1.79, cross-reference Luke 2.14, Luke 19.38, and Acts 10.36, etc. Peace is thus, first of all, a restored communion with God, a present possession, and then a growing material and spiritual well-being and prosperity, which encompasses the world. Peace is the direct result of the redemption of Christ, Ephesians 2.17, and consists primarily in a state of conscious reconciliation with God, Romans 5.1, though often used in a broader sense to denote all the blessings which accompany and flow from that reconciliation. Some of the basic aspects of peace are thus, first, reconciliation with God the Father through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Second, this peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves. Instead of being at war with ourselves through sadomasochistic hostilities, we are at peace. Third, Christ and his law word are the principles of our peace with men. This means, fourth, that Christian reconstruction is a basic aspect of peace. To reestablish Christian churches and schools, states, homes, institutions, sciences, and callings on the law word of God is a necessary task of the peacemaker. It is the blessed or joyful peacemakers who are called the children of God, Matthew 5, 9, because they are those who do the will of their Father in heaven. Fifth, it must be emphatically stated that peace, in its biblical sense, does not in any sense mean compromise. Compromise is a form of surrender. The word compromise is not to be found in Scripture. Peace, rather, is akin to power and is an aspect of the manifestation of God's power unto salvation and victory. Frederick Douglass once observed that power concedes nothing. Least of all does the sovereign and omnipotent God concede anything. His peace is on his terms and is grounded on his righteousness and grace. For us to imagine peace as compromise to be acceptable to him is to imagine a vain thing. For men and nations to expect peace on any other ground than God's salvation and our obedience to his law is to ask for judgment, not peace. The kinship of peace with power appears in the old concepts of the peace of God and the citizens' peace. The peace of God prevailed where godly men were able to enforce the concept of the immunity of unarmed churchmen and husbandmen from attack by warring feudal factions. This peace prevailed where faith was sufficiently strong to enforce it morally, 
Related to this was the truce of God, which limited the dates of warfare. The subject's peace meant his immunity on his land from the contention of others. The king's peace meant that the protection and sanctity of the king's house and servants was extended to all peaceable subjects, so that peace and justice were the common property of all. The king's peace functioned admirably when the king's power was great, not otherwise. Power and peace are coordinate, not separate. The pacifist fallacy which sees the hope for peace in a renunciation of power is an implicit denial of peace. Peace is thus more than an emotional state. It is also not to be confused with silence. The Greek has a word for peace as silence, segeo, to hold one's peace, and it is used only in that sense in the New Testament. Peace, irene, is very different. It is not silence, nor is it merely an emotional state. When Christ spoke of peace at the Last Supper, it was after he promised the coming of the Comforter or Advocate. Then he declared, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14.27 In commanding his people to be neither troubled nor afraid, our Lord was not advocating positive thinking or psychological self-help. He was assuring them of peace in a troubled world precisely because all power was his, Matthew 28.18. As a result, his people have the assurance of peace, because Christ absolutely rules and reigns over all things. As he declared, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16.33 Christ's peace is thus grounded in Christ's victory. His is the only true king's peace, which covers all his household with his protection and justice. All who strike against us strike against him, and his justice shall overtake them. If we do not renounce him, he will not renounce us. As members of Christ's household, we are under the king's peace, and must appeal to him for justice against all disturbers of the peace. If we fail to sue for his peace in our prayers, we have not placed ourselves under the king's peace. St. Paul in Romans 5, 1-3 associates peace with the fact of tribulation, as does our Lord in John 16.33. We have peace in tribulation, not because we find refuge in a flight from the reality of troubles and griefs, but because we have, in the midst of the worst trials and persecutions, the assurance of the certainty of Christ's power and victory, and the redress of every wrong.